0: Welcome to this episode of Revolution and Ideology. I'm Nick. I'm Jared. And in this episode, we are debating whether or not anarchism is an ideology. So this is interesting for us because we teach an entire class called Ideology and Isms, where we dive really deeply into the philosophy and history of the concept of an ideology and then explore in depth different ideologies um, in that course we actually used to uh, when we first taught the class do a section on anarchism we do capitalism and then we did socialism and anarchism do we do that anymore i don't think we, we do. got
1: rid of socialism to be blunt because the course is a critique on all the dominant or hegemonic ideologies around and we didn't necessarily feel like we were doing a service to the critique of socialism <laughs> since we were critiquing all the other ones um so much more in-depth than we were socialism. Yeah, plus um, it's not a dominant ideology. And it, right, it, yeah, that's the point. It's not dominant. So we were dom- We we would critique patriarchy or uh, capitalism or nationalism, like these very dominant ideologies, mm-hmm. uh, positivism. Um, so, yep.
0: yeah. And we also teach another class called stateless societies, where we really, really then dive deep into anarchism and the potential for, uh, I mean, we start with the history of, you know, sort of circular tribal societies Watch our episode on The Secret of Dreaming if you want more on that a little bit more. Uh, And then we go into how we got to, you know, this capitalist dominated sort of linear thinking society. And then we explore the possibilities of could we ever get to a society that is stateless again. And so we very clearly have to dive into the philosophy of anarchism and so forth. In terms of
1: morality and ethics, we're actually looking to get regressive and go back to what it looked like, you know, pre-agricultural revolution or whatever, but Understanding that in terms of like the context and the tools, the material culture, we can't we can't go back to being like whatever hunter gatherers, mm-hmm. but we can take some of that philosophy that they had that was much more egalitarian with us, and like yeah. kind of synthesize the two, like modernity with these values that we argue are innate um, in
0: human nature. So. Mm or at least that's the question we pose in the class. I don't know if we've ever come to a like definitive conclusion, but that's probably for another time. Right. We make our students try to uh, answer that question. Right. Their final project is to come up with a stateless society and what would the ideologies be and how would it come into being and so forth. Um, but we don't try to answer that question. We just ask the question of our students. So... This is a debate jared and i have had uh many times uh, just talking is is anarchism itself as a philosophy and ideology so what we're going to do is come up with a definition of ideology that we can agree on then come up with a definition of anarchism that we can agree on and then have the conversation of what is anarchism and ideology so let's kick it off by discussing what is an ideology and this is one of the first assignments we actually give to our students in that class is they have to do a few readings and then pick a definition of ideology and explain why that resonates with them the most so i'll ask jared for you what is an ideology it's much more simplistic
1: than the ones that we use in course for me it is like a it's 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 an adopted
0: way of thinking speaking and acting mm-hmm. good and keep in mind, when we're using the term ideology, we're not really using the overly simplified, though, popular use of that term now, which is just purely a political ideology. Yeah. Like that... It,
1: Republicans and Democrats exactly. and Labor
0: Party and whatever, those are not
1: ideologies. Mm-hmm. They're not. The Democrats and Republicans, for example, believe in the same, like, grandiose ideology of Democratic Republicanism and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. So that's the dominant ideology. Those little micro ideologies and small, and I can't believe I'm saying this, minor deviations between what the American right and the American left in terms of like general discourse, those don't constitute like standalone ideologies in and of themselves.
0: Right. And we actually, we have a video, I'll link to it, uh, of me going through this that we use in our online version of that class talking about the history of the term ideology and, like, all of that and stuff. What, so I'll leave that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, unless one of those ideologies
1: went far enough, whether, I guess, if we're talking Democrats left and, and Republicans right, far enough way to actually challenge the notion of, like, the current system and the state structure and capitalism, they're not standalone ideologies. They both yeah. believe in that general dominant discourse. And there are, like I said, major differences, or excuse me, I just said minor, but minor differences between the two, but both are still all about, like, currency-based economies mm-hmm. and all are still about... About, like using uh nationalism, the electoral, and, nationalism and the electoral process Patriarchy and both, you and... see them at protests both are wearing the american flag like and mm-hmm. claiming they represent so they're not they're not standalone ideologies so yeah
0: they're sub discourses the sub ideologies at best but like jared said they don't even begin to touch the overarching dominant Correct. ideologies that really rule the way that we behave and exist in our society okay so tell me your definition again i already forgot the details It is, oh, oh, it is a way of thinking, speaking, and acting. Okay, cool. That's a really, really good simple one, which we'll actually probably end up going with. But let's talk a little bit more about some more complex definitions. Um, I guess let me cite this article that I'm going to read from. This is one of the readings in our class that our students do. It is Ideology, a Definitional Analysis, and it's by the author John Gehring, I'm assuming is how you pronounce his name. Um, It was published in 1997, so it's a little bit dated, but it's by far the best Um, It's in Political Research Quarterly. He does an analysis of different ways that the term ideology is used and then has a table in the article that is a sample of definitions from different people. So I'm just going to read the first one from that table. Uh, And so this actually comes from Theodore Adorno. He says, an organization, an ideology is an organization of opinions, attitudes, and values, a way of thinking about man and society. We may speak of an individual's total ideology or of his ideology with respect to different areas of social life, politics, economics, religion, minority groups, and so forth. The reason I really like this one is because it's kind of a combination of what we were just talking about, right? It's an organization of opinions, attitudes, and values, a way of thinking about man and society, and it explains how, like, political ideology is a very narrow sort of sub- Category of total ideology that dominates the way that we think. Um, anything to add to Adorno's definition? There, any thoughts? No,
1: I mean the split between the two is good, between mm-hmm. like the hegemon and then like the micro ideologies below that.
0: This next one he has in the table comes from Loewenstein, and it says an ideology is a consistent, integrated pattern of thoughts and beliefs explaining man's attitudes towards life and his existence in society and advocating a conduct and action pattern responsive to and comminc- commensurate with such thoughts and beliefs. That's basically a really uh, complex way of saying exactly what Jared, uh, his really simple definition was. Integrated patterns of thoughts and belief that explains people's attitudes and their existence and uh, then as a result impact their behavior. So uh, I like that one. Um, which is
1: interesting because when we talk about the definition of ideology, a lot of it's going to sound like it's coming from like the historical idealist lens, which of course mm-hmm. it's, it's ideology is a collection of ideas that inform the way we think, right. speak and act and stuff like that. Yeah, there is one
0: in here that actually- But it's
1: impact on the material world, which shows like the reflexive relationship because most of these people writing about ideology, we would consider historical materialists. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting that there's that back Yeah, this
0: work. one's interesting because it actually come. it mentions um, action uh, specifically. This is from Nettle. The reflection of process and structure in the consciousness of those involved, the product of action. So there we definitely see the materialist lens uh, coming through for sure. Our way of thinking is a result of the way that we behave, right, Uh, very clearly. Um, I'm going to just read one more because I like this one because it has some important aspects that we like to talk about in our class. This comes from, and I'm going to butcher this, the name is R-E-J-A-I, Rejai, I'm assuming. Um, they say that an ideology is an emotion-laden, myth-saturated, mm. action-related system of beliefs and values about people and society. Legitimacy and authority that is acquired to a large extent as a matter of faith and habit. And it continues. But I love this one it's because fire. it talks about emotion and myth yeah. um, being part of an ideology. And we teach our students in class that there is no such thing as a true ideology we go a little bit post-structuralist and in the class I do lectures on Foucault and discourse and post-structuralist philosophy and so forth um and so and and honestly it's funny because this is the one thing our students struggle with the most usually is like there's no truth how could there be no truth right it's astonishing but yes so I like this definition because it talks about how ideologies are both emotion laden and myth saturated right that every ideology is based on some kind of myth myth that is not factual regardless of what that ideology is any thoughts on that
1: well i mean yeah, some are blatant obviously dominant ideologies like religions are Clearly manufactured out of mythos, right? right? But even like the more mm, post-positivism ideologies like the capitalisms or the nationalisms of the world, these dominant discourses are still saturated with myth. And that's, I mean, we have an entire series called Myth is America to, to specifically critique American nationalism, mm-hmm. but we've done it with other uh, other topics, uh, obviously, on this podcast as well. We just did it with like the Garifuna. Uh, we've done it in Cuba. We've done it in Russia and so on and so forth, but like history. So I'm the historian here. The way way history is manufactured is, um, meant to it's obviously it's most mostly mythological depending on who's telling the history if you're telling the history of cuba in cuba it's a myth-laden history that celebrates cuba or in the united states or in russia or what have you but that mythos is not completely inconsequential it's not just like educators or storytellers are lying for no absolute reason just because they feel like it what they're doing is hoping to perpetuate a discourse which leads to it is a major like foundational part of ideology
0: they're constructing a narrative for sure
1: Constructing a narrative to rationalize an ideology, right? Whatever that ideology is, they're, mm-hmm. they're seeking to rationalize, right? The idea of the rugged individual in like American history is meant to perpetuate capitalism now, if that makes sense. We so, really need to do Hobbes, yeah.
0: bomb and the invention of tradition at some point. That, it is our, good. Yeah, It's very good. Also, check out our video on ethically constitutive story, because that goes, uh, hugely relates to this concept right. of how stories and narratives are created to justify ways of being, right? Hugely connected to ideology. Yeah, link that that when it's short. It's like three minutes, yeah. Yeah, I will for sure. Okay, so I think we can both agree, really, uh, we don't have to beat this one to death on Jared's basic fundamental definition. It's a belief system that... An ideology is a belief system that impacts the way that we think and behave. And you had a third thing too. It's think,
1: speak, and act. Think, speak, act. Yeah, good.
0: Okay, now let's go into the second half, which is uh, not second half we're doing three things but whatever the second thing is what is anarchism right and this is the one that like we're just gonna have to draw a line in the sand eventually and just go with which should be easy for the two of us together because we kind of see eye to eye but then uh like the anarcho-capitalist would hate everything i'm assuming we're about to have to which say. are not so, we'll
1: get to this later but there's the and cap is not anarchist so right that's not a thing
0: okay so i know that you <laughs> have some quotes from i think bakunin that you want to talk about sort of Explaining what anarchism is. I think it's best to,
1: to, to learn from like the chief philosophers or thinkers of mm-hmm. like a uh, uh, turn of the 20th century anarchism. And I'm not going to use uh, Bakunin quite yet. I'm actually going to start with two others, um, a couple of favorites of ours as well. Emma Goldman and Peter Kropotkin. So Emma Goldman, hers is kind of short and sweet. Is what she had to say on anarchism. She said, the philosophy of a new social order based on liberty unrestricted by man-made law the theory that all forms of government rest on violence and are therefore wrong and harmful as well as unnecessary. So now I'll ask you for your thoughts on what
0: Emma Goldman had to say. No, I think that she sums it up pretty well. At least most anarchists would agree that, you know, states are governments. She used the term governments, I guess. Governments are built on violence, and that's a problem, right? And that needs to be dealt with in a way that is fundamentally different than Marxist, which is the key.
1: Okay, Peter Kropotkin, 1910, Encyclopedia Britannica. This is association with the oh yeah, Just so you
0: guys know, this is like the definition that is pointed to in all the literature and so forth is his entry here in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah,
1: so this is Peter Kropotkin. This is the most famous one. So, anarchism. The name given to a principle or theory of life and conduct under which society is conceived without government, harmony in such a society being obtained not by submission to law or by obedience to any authority, but by free agreements concluded between the various groups, territory and professional freely constituted for the sake of production and consumption as well as for the satisfaction of the infinite variety of needs and aspirations of a civilized being i'm going to pause because it's a little bit longer but any thoughts at this beginning so
0: same he is the same as emma goldman as far as like denigrating government clearly which if we know anything about anarchism obviously that's going to be in there and then free association i think is a, a real key right anarchists eschew all oppressive hierarchy and so this free association is a really really key component okay
1: he goes on to say, in a society developed on these lines, the voluntary associations which already now began to cover all the fields of human activity would take a still greater extension so as to substitute themselves for the state in all its functions. They would represent an interwoven network composed of an infinite variety of groups and federations of all sizes and degrees, local, regional, national, and international, temporary or more or less permanent, for all possible purposes production, consumption, and exchange, communication, sanitary arrangements, education, mutual protection, defense of the territory and so on and on the other side for the satisfaction of an ever increasing increasing number of scientific artistic literary and social sociable needs moreover such a society would represent nothing immutable on the contrary as seen in organic life at large harmony would it is contended result from an ever-changing adjustment and readjustment of equilibrium between the multitudes of forces and influences and this adjustment would be the easier to obtain as none of the forces would enjoy a special protection from the state
0: Good. So he's talking about in depth, really, how these free associations of people, he calls them federations, could replace all of the functions that have been historically performed by the state and do so without the oppressive hierarchy and violence, which is inherent in state apparatuses.
1: Which is, I mean, it it is a profound statement when we think about it because Mm -hmm. like the way that the state in its myth-laden ideological like indoctrination argues that the anarchists are punks or like chaos and, and, and violent and so on and so forth and we need this rule of law and all these types of things when in reality, historically speaking, all major acts of violence have been performed by states. Both world wars states mm-hmm. transatlantic slave trade st- states, Egyptian slavery, a state like I mean right. we could like every major genocide
0: yeah we just go on and Is on and done
1: on. by a state authority mm-hmm. crusades states i it's i, I don't understand how people yeah. can kind of like not see the correlation between state and violence, and that was just like 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 international violence mm-hmm. don't i didn't don't even get me started on the violence of a state towards its own citizens no, exactly right 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 it's right. internal enforcement
0: mm mm-hmm so if you're curious more on like we have a whole episode where i go through what is anarchism that's what it's called i'll link it uh in this so we go into much much more depth there okay so that's goldman and kropotkin do you have others Uh, I have a couple
1: others as we kind of talk. I mean, here's Goldman again on, Mm -hmm. on the merits of anarchism. This is what she had to say. She says, Anarchism is the only philosophy which brings to man the consciousness of himself, which maintains that God, the state, and society are not existent, that their promises are null and void, since they can be fulfilled only through man's subordination. Anarchism is therefore the teacher of the unity of life, not merely in nature, but in man. There's no conflict between the individual and the social instincts any more than there is between the heart and the lungs." Uh, the one the the receptacle of a precious life essence, the other the repository of the element that keeps the essence pure and strong. The individual is the heart of society, conserving the essence of social life. Society is the lungs which are distributing the element to keep the life essence. That is the individual pure and strong. I like this quote because what she's trying to explain here is like this, this... this thing that a lot of people struggle with when they're dealing with anarchism um, or even socialism to be blunt. How does the individual thrive in more of a collective understanding of themselves? Like Mm -hmm. both she's basically saying like the individual needs the right to be themselves and to flourish and so on and so forth, but they must be able to do so while also like perpetuating the benefits of perpetuating the benefits. Mm, What's the word I'm looking for? Making sure that they are also benefiting those around them as Mm -hmm. well. So benefiting society. And, and she said it's a very tough equilibrium. What do you think?
0: Yeah, you, I think you're absolutely correct. That this is a huge, huge uh, issue that people have understanding for some reason when we're talking about anarchism. Most people get like the right wing libertarianism and the individualism because that is what the dominant ideology is in our society, right? Like you mentioned earlier, rugged individualism. Most people have a really, really hard time understanding how anarchism can be socialist and i don't mean that in like the marxist socialist like leninist type definition i mean like in the collective aspect and how the individual and the collective can both thrive and have the same interests at heart and that's what goldman is getting at with her metaphor using the hearts and the lungs etc that both things thrive when each individual thing thrives so when the individual is thriving and society is thriving they both have this reflexive relationship where they can both be thriving and the individual doesn't have to get this is the common complaint right from the right is that like well the individual has to give up a piece of themselves in order to have a thriving society right which is according to the anarchists is nonsense it's just
1: Well, yeah, and and a lot of it's predicated on, like I said, like this whole kind of very short-sighted, myopic way of thinking that our other dominant ideologies, if we want to bring them into the foray here now as we're going to kind of like talk about them together, anarchism Mm -hmm. and ideology— They've socialized us into believing these types of things because they want to perpetuate themselves. Yep. again, back to like the me first myopic, rugged individualism of capitalism, where it's obviously not necessarily really as, as as rugged or individualistic as we like to think. Some might even say it's more corporate welfare than anything else or corporate socialism. I know Chris Hedges would, but um but these are things that I don't think a lot of people take into consideration. So the other thing that I liked that she said here, and we're going to switch topics for just a second, is um, she's talked specifically about God and state. And a lot Never- of them did this, and I think it, a lot of it had to do with the fact that, that that was the context they were really like dealing with at the turn of the 20th century when many of these anarchist thinkers were writing these, these definitions down, mm-hmm. um, is the state was still kind of, the nation-state was still kind of new. The state itself is not new. Again, mm-hmm. we can date that back to like the agricultural revolution, but the specific nation-state and nationalism was still kind of new, right? If challenging it, the church for dominance. Right, right, right. But both, what they're saying is both, like even if we move from more of a church-governed society, uh, especially if we're looking at the Western world, to a state-run society, doesn't, doesn't change anything really. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it's it's just a different master. And of course, anarchism, no gods, no masters, right? Yep. But it's just a different master. Are still manufactured as Rajai said on mythos right mm-hmm. mythos and faith so now maybe there's a little bit less faith in God God is dead as Nietzsche said right like um, but that we've, we haven't replaced well, excuse me we have replaced God merely with a different God mm-hmm. i.e. the state yep and we have all of like the elements that an ideologue would want with the state we are literally putting like idols on our currency and our currency itself is idolatrous like these little things we're building statues just like the greeks would um to zeus or poseidon or whatever or the egyptians would to like amon ra and stuff it's it's still very creepy and cultish the way like these ideologies perpetuate themselves. civic religion nationalism american civic religion Mm -hmm. but it's not just like a united states phenomenon obviously but like we're still seeing all of the elements of the ideology there, and that ideology seeks to subordinate. That was the word she used, right? Mm-hmm. Subordinate us. We may no longer be worshiping God, or at least many of us not to the level we were in, maybe like the Middle Ages, for example, but we're still worshiping something. We are still subordinate. We are still following the arbitrary rules of a system that does not have our best interests in mind as individuals. Exactly.
0: Yeah, and like it's it's interesting, like you said, that this is coming uh It's no coincidence that many of these philosophers are Russian at the early and mid-20th century. Or in Emma's case, she spent time in—oh, wait, no, she was born there, too, Mm -hmm. and then came to the States, then went—yeah, okay. Because at that time, it was like the pinnacle of the conflict between the church and the state with the czar, right, and the church, and the rule of both of those and how that was playing out at the time. Um, check out—we have both a history of the Russian Revolution, which talks about this, yeah. and we have episodes on Russian nihilism, talking about that era and nihilism specifically, which and then anarchism in that.
1: practice with Nestor Makhno. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we've got—we've got, yeah, we've got we covered a, a that, bunch of stuff there.
0: That period in Russia, pretty well actually. So one more thing before we
1: actually like finish this conversation in the third part here, where is anarchism an ideology? i Now we're going to go to Bakunin and his idea of like why those things are not necessary. When I say things, why there's a state is not necessary. Why a religion is not necessary. Why again, all of these rather, when you look at it on a meta level, these rather arbitrarily decided upon ways of thinking, speaking and acting always delivered from the top down, whether that top is some sort of um, spaghetti monster in the sky um, who gives authority to a King who for some reason is benefiting um, more than anybody else by what the spaghetti monster is saying. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, it does not matter. He's what he argues is why anarchism works. And this is the biggest sticking point even in our comments on the what is anarchism video. I cannot believe how many like people are just naturally greedy and mean and I'm, we've been socialized into this or at least that's what we'd like to believe. I I guess I haven't lived 300,000 years ago, but like all the archaeological and anthropological evidence points to us not always being dicks, for lack of a better term. Like, this is... this, And and not just that. The evidence of, like, even European colonists going to other societies that did not adopt the dominant ideologies of the colonists. Mm -hmm. We already see much more egalitarian societies, at least even in their journals, their diaries, uh, the letters they were sending back to their various kings and queens. We see it there. It's Mm -hmm. evidenced. Anyway, what Bakunin says is this reveals that the only law that man should submit to is natural law. Like, the laws of nature. So he, he is a materialist, in other words. He is definitely a materialist. But the laws of nature, and nature has worked this way for, I don't know how much he knew about the sciences, but we know a little bit more now because it's 2021 uh, to date this episode. But, like, yes, the Earth has been doing this thing for 4.3, 4.4 billion years. It definitely has a better handle on the way, like, nature has a better handle on the way things should function than, again, uh, a random king who came up, who wrote his own book, of rules or whatever like there's there is a way of doing things that just seems to fit and the biggest part of that is the mutual aid seen in the natural world between like all of the different organisms and the rivers and the mountains and so on Mm -hmm. and so forth symbiosis and Mm -hmm. and see when we look at a lot oftentimes like and I know we're going to get a comment on this, people will say, but it's survival of the fittest and the alpha wolves and the beta wolves and the omega wolves, like there's, there's hierarchy and there's, it, it's not like that. What we're doing when we make these natural observations is we're looking at the world as it exists now within our current context and we're then like transposing our own circumstances on the natural world to see what we want to see to rationalize our own current context. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's most evident even in all those anthropological findings that have been found like post-World War II where people were making assertions about what the world was like, what hunter-gatherers were like. Well, they were doing this right after World War II where they saw how awful humans can be in Mm -hmm. holocausts and like atomic weapons and so on. So naturally, their pessimism when they started to find these archaeological findings, well, this must be a mass grave where like a genocide in, you know, whatever, 1500 BCE, 1500, 15,000 BCE took place. Now, fresh eyes are getting to like those same sites and they're saying, no, these are all... Infants and old people, which, which again, in hunter-gatherer society, those are going to be, like, the most susceptible yeah. to disease and so on. This is just a mass grave because they clearly went through a pandemic. There was no genocide here. But now that we're looking at those through fresh eyes, we're seeing those differences. Anyway, back to the point. Let me just spit this out. Sorry about, the like, the tangent <laughs> rant here. But it's just—it's so— annoying to continue yeah. to see that comment like every day not just like on the youtube it's like cliche at
0: this point and, and when people comment on our people videos are just I, naturally gritty it's just I literally respond like it, you're, you're a cliche at this point like you it's just it's absurd right yeah. we
1: see it like all the time in the animal kingdom you don't know, believe we put on like the dodo for example that channel's amazing like like no not like not every organism is just like taking for the sake of taking for its mm-hmm. own naked self-interest over and over again we're socialized into that okay anyway back in it on man and nature Man will never be able to combat nature. He can't conquer or master it. Being the ultimate product of nature on this earth, man, through his individual and social development, continues, so to speak, the work, creation, movement, and life of nature. Man's relations to this universal nature can't be external, can't be those of slavery or of struggle. He carries nature within himself and is nothing outside of it. It seems quite evident that no revolt is on the part of man against what I call universal causality or universal nature. The latter envelops and pervades man. It is within and outside of him and constitutes his whole being. Nature, notwithstanding the inexhaustible wealth and variety of beings of which it is so constituted, does not by any means present chaos, but instead a magnificently organized world wherein every part is logically correlated to all other parts, moreover all things governed by inherent laws which constitute their own particular nature, that each being has its own peculiar form of transformation and action." such fire essentially what he's saying is this whole the whole world the whole world ecosystem relies on each part equally right? None is more important than the other for everything to continue to function. Mm -hmm. We are all reliant on those other things. So if that's the natural way of how the world functions, the material world we rely on functions, there's no reason humans can't function that way. And the minute one of those organisms steps out of line, right, and and, and tries to assert its dominance over the others, what happens to the system itself? It will eventually Mm collapse. Climate change, anyone?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay, I'm going to read... Just the first sentence of the definition of anarchism on Wikipedia, because it gives us basically what we need. It says, anarchism is a political philosophy and movement that is skeptical of authority and rejects all involuntary, coercive forms of hierarchy. That's about as simple as you can make it. Now, in real life, it's much more complex and there are different uh, threads of anarchism and so forth. You get the idea. But I think that's uh, right. It's skeptical of authority and rejects all coercive hierarchy, right? Um, So anarchism is for the abolition of the state. The one thing that none of those definitions mentioned, which I always say is part of anarchism, which is why we don't believe that anarcho-capitalists are actually anarchists, is the abolition of private property. What do you think about that? What do you mean? Like, so, again, real quick, you're going to
1: distinguish private property from, like, give us the definition again, Okay so private property We've done
0: it in like 3 episodes but we need to do yeah, it again Yeah because this is what we always hear right like the socialists are coming for our toothbrush Yeah it's <laughs> like, always the toothbrush it, yeah. I'm
1: not sharing my toothbrush
0: I, I use that example every time just because I think it's funny
1: What that one guy say something about my crops I'm going to plant crops and people yeah. are just going to come steal my crops like Exactly
0: You're a yeah. moron what are the what are you Once one time a student in class used t-shirts like the the socialists would come and steal my t-shirts and I'm like they have their own t-shirt no one wants your fucking shirt like, yeah. what? <laughs> Anyways, okay. So private property in this context is think of it as capital assets. And in really simple terms, it's anything that could be used to exploit someone else. So it's the modes of production, right? To use the Marxist term, it's the factories, it's the, the, that type of thing. So it's an asset that could be used to exploit someone. So no one cares about your toothbrush or your t-shirt. You're not exploiting someone with a t-shirt, right? That's not happening. But for sure, like a business, as an example, is a, would be considered private property at that point. So, personal property versus private property is how yeah. I frame it. So, of course, you're allowed to have personal property. Like, I can have my t-shirt and my toothbrush. But private property being the modes of production and so forth. Um, my what are we going to do without is, a
1: profit motive? Oh, yeah. my God. If Like, humans will just not develop if there's not some sort of monetary compensation. I mean, I, that guy that invented fire was like, where's my money? Yeah, like. exactly. Crops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Full-blown agriculture. Wheel, is like, here's a wheel here. Yeah. Give me some money. Guys, I just figured out how to plant seeds and lines. I'm going to be a billionaire. Guys, <laughs> it's, it's, come on. Invest now. Get in at the ground floor. Like,
1: oh god. Yeah. All right. Okay.
0: Anyways, my question to you is, is that an a fundamental part of anarchism, the abolition of private property? Yeah. Okay. I would argue that. I it would argue it is. is as well. Yep. I don't know any of the socialist anarchist philosophers that are okay with private property. When we then lean towards the right and get into individualist anarchism. Or the egoists, yeah. yeah. Then, uh, or like right-wing libertarianism and so forth, right? Or the anarcho-capitalists, which like we've beaten to death. Uh, we, I don't consider those to be anarchists for various reasons. And we get so many hate comments for that, but I don't care. You are not an well, anarchist. Well, because
1: what they de- end up doing with that material wealth, whatever that material wealth looks like, it doesn't even have to be currency. It could be land. It could be whatever, whatever that asset is, is then using that to subordinate others, which then makes it unanarchist.
0: But they argue like, well, you can volunteer to be a slave, right? Like, which is just asinine. But but that's a whole other episode, which we'll get to. So for me, and I think we probably agree, anarchism is abolition of the state, rejection of coercive and oppressive hierarchy, and abolition of private property. Are we agreed on that, I think? Yeah. So is it an ideology? That's the final question, right? So is anarchism a belief system that informs the way that we think, speak, and act. You know so
1: bad that I'm supposed to be the one arguing no, but now that we've had this discussion, <laughs> like, based on what we just said, but he, but it's not a rigid belief system. There's no specific—I mean, I guess there are a couple of specific things that we just agreed upon, but there's, like, no rituals attached to it. There's no mythological, like, narrative attached to it. There's just, like— I mean, I guess unless if, you, if we want to argue that Bacon's version of, of 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 understanding nature is mythological, but like mm-hmm. these are observations in the natural world, right? We understand like tides don't happen without moons, and ants don't like whatever. Like ants, what am I bringing up ants for? I'm like, well, decomposition, and then the decomposition makes the like the plants, and then someone comes and eats the plants, and then someone comes and eats that other guy, and someone mm-hmm. comes and eats that other guy, and so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden, that other one, the top one, dies, and then replenishes the soil. Like this whole like intricate system, right? Like I guess everything is is reliant upon. On each other but that's not i that's not mythological nor is it ideological i mean we i guess unless i'm looking at it through the lens of a positivist which we might argue is ideological in and of itself but like mm-hmm. these are things that we see in the observable world right i don't see the spaghetti monster in the si- sky in the observable in the observable world okay
0: but here's how i would argue that is let's just say for sake of argument that those observations are real and true and anyone may tainted by my lens too well yeah that's what i'm saying like let's just say for a second that that's not the case right that anyone that would observe the natural world would make those same observations that they are fundamentally real and true that they happened and like that's it but kunin's interpretation of how that applies to human behavior i would argue could be considered ideological because he is viewing that through his lens in 20th century russia etc right But I mean, but, but I would
1: also say like it's an irrefutable fact that humans cannot exist without the natural world. So our integration into the natural
0: world is necessary. What I'm saying is his interpretation of it's this symbiosis ecosystem, blah, 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 how that relates to human behavior is very clearly filtered through Bakunin's lens. Correct, because many people could look at those same things and interpret it in completely different ways. Well, right? like we already like said, like survival of the fittest. Yeah, like right? w-
1: like we already said, but I don't. But that's not survival of
0: the fittest, right? Like, I mean, as an example, we have two people who looked at the natural world, and they don't disagree what happened in the natural world, but they absolutely disagree what that means for real life. Being Darwin with like, Origin of the Species and Kropotkin with mutual aid, right, right. a factor in human evolution. So. But does Is that, that make the title? it mutual so? A- obviously, un- I, aid, right? yes. Yeah. Obviously, I'm
1: much more interested in Kropotkin's
0: understanding of the way right. things work. Not that,
1: not that I'm an evolutionist. But of evolution not because are. that's more like,
0: right, but because that's what we personally agree with, which makes it ideological. But can they both be right? Like, clearly,
1: like species evolve over time mm-hmm. based on their material conditions. So right. that part of Darwinism makes sense. But mm-hmm. also, like why they do this? This idea of constant competition and so on and so forth—that's manufactured from an industrial revolution mindset. Agreed. Yeah.
0: Well in fact like I talk about this in my intro class. With moment. Herbert Spencer exactly.
1: taking it taking it to another level, right? Like yeah. again, survival of the fittest was not even originally in Origin of Species. That actually doesn't come from Charles Darwin originally. It comes from Herbert Spencer.
0: Well most people don't know this is that Spencer is actually working on theories of evolution related to human societies before Darwin published The Origin of the Species, before he applied it to the natural world. So
1: as much as we have a profound distaste for a man like Herbert Spencer, I, what you're saying is his lens on, like, whatever Darwin's findings, and then applying that to the human world is problematic,
0: just like someone might argue... Actually, I would argue the reverse, that it's kind of weird, because... Spencer didn't take Darwin's ideas and apply them to human society, nor did Darwin take Spencer's ideas and apply them to the natural world because they were both working in parallel. Right. Spencer was already applying theories of evolution, evolutionary theory to the natural world before anyone had ever read Darwin's work. But the point
1: being that their observations of how the natural world works and then applying those to the human world would be this not that different than what Kropotkin did, but from a v- very different angle. No, exactly. And that's my point. Like, right. D- so does that make then eventually the later ideologies that or ways of thinking—I don't even want to use the word ideology yet because mm-hmm. we're undecided—but the ways of thinking that they begin to promote— does that make them ideological? Well, in the case of Spencer, we would absolutely argue yes, right? Like pro-capitalism, pro-social Darwinism. Yeah, that's not so, because we don't like him. Right. But that, that's the question I'm now asking. But because we like a Kropotkin and later on a Goldman and so on and so forth, is
0: theirs ideological? I don't know. Well, it's the very best subjective, right? Like we would say, right. I think Kropotkin's ideas map onto human reality better than Darwin's do. But that doesn't mean that it's right, right? It's fully subjective, which is where we struggle, anyone in our society, because we're so used to like, this is correct. There's one right way to do things and this must be right. You know what I mean? But here's the thing,
1: built into anarchism is the no one right way to do it as, aside from abolition of state, like, again, no gods, no masters. Mm-hmm. Whereas all the other ideologies we draw into critical inquiry are based on like a very rigid
0: dogma. I don't know if I, like, that's where I have, I struggle, right? Is, is anarchism, anarchism dogmatic? Right. I would say yes. Okay. There are times in my life when I have really wanted to argue no, because I want it to be what we want it to be. But if I'm really being honest with myself, then yes, I think, that, I mean, and I asked, this is the main question, right? Has any anarchist ever tried to convince someone else the merits of anarchism? Well, the answer is very clearly yes. yes absolutely. Then it's dogmatic. That's it. Does that make it an ideology? I think so, but that's my opinion. By the way, I'm not saying that, like, there's now merit in anarchism. Uh, just because it's an ideology doesn't mean that it's, like, false or wrong or whatever.
1: And in terms of, like, production of knowledge and mythos, I mean, we clearly have done that here, which was obviously done intentionally. Well, and there's clearly got... mythos.
0: Like, we told the story of now, right? Like, we've there's stories. Yeah.
1: And, but I'm talking even in terms of, like, uh, an uh, epistemic understanding of what it is. Like, I'm t- clearly drawing on prior thinkers of anarchism here. Mm-hmm. I've quoted Goldman Krapel. Hodkin there's and a narrative. There's. there's a, yeah. We could argue that there's narrative attached to it. Whether that narrative is mythological, I suppose, is in the eye of the beholder. So is anarchism ideological, an ideo- a standalone ideology. It's certainly not a dominant one. Could it be a dominant one? Well, of course, it could never be a dominant one. Well, I mean, that, that's that's. I mean. Here's the other part of it. Like, it's it's both an ideology, but it's an anti-ideology as well. It's very—so if we look at it, and, and you're going to be able to speak to this more clearly than I am regarding post-structuralism, um, it seeks to deconstruct all of the prior existing ideologies— while creating, and now I'm going to quote, you know, a guy we quote all the time, Subcomandante Marcos, and one of my favorite quotes: "A world in which many worlds exist, right? Like this idea where there can be lots of like sub-discourses and so on and so forth. But does that make it ideological? And is post? And and again." I'm using post-structuralism, even though it wasn't even a thing when these individuals were writing, but like this idea that we are deconstructing for the sake of deconstruction and deconstructing and then what comes after is irrelevant as long as it's deconstructed.
0: Yeah, but that's, that's more of an anarcho-nihilist perspective than an anarchist perspective, right? Anarchists are usually prefiguratory where they have an idea of what's going to happen. They're not just destructing for the sake of destructing. That would be the nihilists.
1: So, and here's the thing, though. But, and I guess I, I, I'm trying to argue the other side, even though sometimes it's a little bit difficult. The anarchists are arguing, and that's why I chose these quotes. That there's isn't as ideological as it's drawing from the material reality around them rather than the mythos. Even though we're drawing upon these narratives of quotes and from past uh, famous anarchist thinkers and philosophers and so on and so forth, they're arguing it's from the observable world, not things. If we want to pick on religions that happened thousands of years before anyone saw and we're relying on people that wrote them down hundreds of years later and we're not actual observers of any of the magical events that took place and so on and so forth, they're arguing that this is the observable world. So it's more of a materialist construct than an idealist. And if that's the case, then it, maybe it's not an ideology. But then I'll come
0: back with, isn't materialism an ideology? like we just keep it's like the third three-year-old right so so let's let's
1: rewind and now we'll pick on 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 our homie here the most famous historical materialist of all times what did marx think of ideology because he defined it as well and we use it Mm -hmm. in class do you do you have that off the tip of your tongue basically what what did marx
0: say when he defined ideology the marxist concept of ideology is uh this isn't marxist term this is lukacs i think the false consciousness right but that Ideology is something that sort of veils, prevents us from seeing the world as it actually is, right? So, and it's created by the dominant class. So he would argue that like the proletariat goes to work every day and is exploited on a day, I wouldn't say is willing to be exploited, which is kind of a weird way to word it. but. Because they don't actually see the real relations, the real social and productive relations. But that if we lifted the ideology and everyone was able to see the world for what it really was, then essentially there would be motivation for revolution and so forth. So based on that, then anarchism does not qualify as an ideology. Does it? I don't know. Is it, does anarchism reflect, does it map perfectly onto the real world, onto reality? So a
1: pro-anarchist an- would argue, obviously, yes, it does. Back in right. and just literally argued it is based on natural law. There is that it, based on the material observable world. This is the way humans function and did function for hundreds of thousands of years before we started to exploit each other and could function again if we ever decided to um, lift the veil, get rid of our, our false consciousness and so on and so forth. That has been... Um,
0: so that's a good way of word now that you said that, right? Like... If we remove all of the filters, all of the lenses, the ideologies through which we view the world, are we left with anarchism? Because if that answer is yes, then it's not an ideology. But I would answer that that's not. No, that's not the case. I mean, the idealist in me would argue that that is, that could be At the very least, it would be like primitive anarchist, maybe. Anarchism, perhaps, right? I don't think that we can... Oh man, this is getting deep now. Like, can we have, whatever, an Xbox... In, if we're willing to get rid of all of the veils, like, no, absolutely not. I don't know
1: what the Xbox has to do with the veils. It's just an
0: ideological tool, right? Can you play a video game and, like, no, you're filtering reality through something at that point.
1: Um, here, or Hold a on. film, or. Well, a- Emma Goldman had something to say on that, and I'm looking. I'm looking on specific- Xboxes. Oh my no, God. not on Xboxes. She <laughs> she was not a, a seer. She was not like an oracle or something along those lines. Um, here she says a thorough perusal of the human, the history of human development will disclose two elements in bitter conflict with each other elements that are not only beginning to be understood, not as foreign to each other, but as closely related and truly harmonious, if only placed in a proper environment, the individual and social instincts, the individual and society have waged a relentless and bloody battle for ages, each striving for supremacy because each was blind that's the filters you're talking about, to the value and importance of the other, the individual and social instincts, the one, a most potent factor for individual endeavor, for growth, aspiration, self-realization, the other, an equally potent factor for mutual helpfulness and social well-being. Maybe that doesn't hit the notes that I'm trying to hit. That kind of goes back to this idea of individual and society, but it doesn't help us understand how that reflects upon anarchism being or not being an ideology. Okay, let me
0: ask this. Let's say now, right? Not like pre-agricultural revolution etc but let's say now let's say society changed to a point where we were living in a state not state like government but in a state of reciprocity and so forth would you be behaving that way because you believe in anarchism or would you be behaving that way because it's your natural instinct i mean i think it would be the natural instinct So how, okay. Well,
1: hold on, repeat that question for me.
0: Let's say we found ourselves like going from now to a society where we, it was built on reciprocity, et cetera, everything that the anarchists dream of. Would you be behaving that way because you believe in anarchism or because it is just your natural instinct to behave that way? So an anarchist would say and
1: clearly like we've covered like two different like definitions of this or three different definitions of it. That's the natural
0: instinct. So then maybe anarchism is the ideology that bridges capitalism and us relying on our natural instinct because we can't just turn off capitalism and immediately start acting on our instincts and being reciprocal, right? (sighs)
1: No, that is something that we definitely agree upon. That if there is potential for us to get back to this more natural way of like human organization, this more equitable, egalitarian, mutual aid, reciprocity based like economics and consumption and labor and, and, and a lack of exploitation and abolition of the state, like that's not a single like thing that happens in any like whatever revolution in our lifetimes. That's going to be a generational change. Just like it was a generational change to turn us into okay. these exploitative mm-hmm. assholes that we are now, it would also be a generational change change to unwire us from being that way. So now that I say and that I now, guess going, to do that you would need to use certain tools to socialize people into changing. So maybe that makes at least the or, transition
0: ideological. Or I think the anarchists and the marxists would both argue perhaps it can be material, right? Like they they have no choice but to behave that way because now I'm going back on what I said and thinking of like natural disasters, right? So when there's a hurricane, and all of a sudden the community comes together and is handing out bottled water. No one's standing there like, Oh man, I believe in anarchism, so here's your bottle of water, right? It just becomes like you don't have a choice. You're, it's survival. right, and all the other ideologies
1: like wither away in that circumstance, exactly. right? Like no, most people aren't looking for profits or things
0: along those lines. Um, and it doesn't matter if the person in front of you is a Jew or a Muslim, like you're. Giving but there them are a still like water, there right? are
1: still a couple of holdouts. I'm always reminded of mm-hmm. of, of the Spike Lee film. What is it uh, on Katrina? What's the name of it? It's when so, the levees broke. When the levees broke, mm-hmm. and uh, people were trying to flee uh, from. I think it was a course the ninth ward or somewhere else uh, across the bridge to a different um, they don't call them like districts or families, parish, counties, parish mm-hmm. right And the cops, the police department of that other parish were like at gunpoint keeping them from crossing Mm -hmm. the bridge. Like that was clearly, like that was a horrible disaster, arguably one of the worst natural disasters um, we've experienced in a very long time. And yet those people that didn't experience it were still holding on to their ideology and making those other folks suffer.
0: Although we could argue that is the remnants of the state, right? If we're going to.
1: Well, it was specifically police officers holding up
0: these people, like
1: again, trying to like basically flee across the bridge, like Mm -hmm. flee, but yeah, like that.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but then I'm, like, reminded of, like, all, the, all, all, all of the other things you see, like, regarding even more recently, like, Harvey in Houston and so on and so forth. And it didn't matter, like, race, gender, nationalism, all those other types of things. And you saw a lot of mutual aid taking place among the people on the ground um, that were dealing with what happened in Harvey. Mm-hmm. Now, how the government dealt with Harvey showed, of course, like, ideology, <laughs> yeah. like that showed, like, segregation, mm-hmm. racial disparity, socioeconomic disparity. But that's the state. That's what the state does. But the people on the ground were all helping each other. So then, like,
0: must <laughs> this is complicated, right? Must we be forced to take part in mutual aid because it goes against our natural instinct, which is what certain people would argue, or must we be forced to take part in that, in, participate in mutual aid because we're so socialized otherwise?
1: God, now we're getting into revolutionary vanguardism again. Like forcing anybody to do anything
0: is unanarchist. No, I mean forced as like forced by the material conditions, oh, like in okay. a hurricane okay. or something. Okay. Okay. Why don't we just do that all the time? Why do we have to be in the middle of a natural disaster to do that? Is my question.
1: I mean, that's a much deeper question that I think we kind of answered a little bit in a series of four episodes on Marcuse and the one dimensionality and how that manufactures us into certain ways of, again, thinking, speaking, and acting Mm -hmm. in in this industrialized society. I think that that plays a huge role. Could we evolve without being forced? That's the question. And that's what every revolutionist is seeking to answer. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we how do we take this next step? How do we de-evolve or evolve, depending, I guess, on your opinion? How do we get back to like this, this way of thinking, speaking, and acting that we clearly, as humans, had at one point? Like It is mm-hmm. clearly evidence. We have already talked about it. Ar- archaeologists, right. anthropologists, again, even the colonists of the Americas saw how most indigenous societies here operated or indigenous societies in Australia or in parts of Southeast Asia or Sub-Saharan Africa operate. We know people can do this. Mm-hmm. We know we can have societies predicated on mutual aid and lack of competition and so on and so forth and have them like thrive they might not thrive the material way that we think they should with Xboxes to use your kind of example or whatever Porsches or whatever but when we really dig into I it like you pointed over there like I have a Porsche out there Nick has a Porsche no, <laughs> no he does I not, do not have a Porsche <laughs> no, they, no he does not have a Porsche anyway not that I don't want one I, I mean, mean it'd be kind of sweet as well but it's very unanarchist of us to want a Porsche yeah, this whole life is unanarchist yeah. so like- anyway whatever stupid no um anyway but like that's the now i lost my i completely lost my train of thought (laughs) it's gone now it's gone whatever it is it's gone it's gone okay back to that okay i picked it back up again how do we get there what is the step like is that step like I guess that's the question. Is is a revolutionary process which would probably be a little bit ideological. Like I said, you'd need to there'd be socialization afterwards. And the minute socialization begins to take place, there'd be narratives and maybe some of those narratives might become mythological and all of a sudden you might be accidentally manufacturing a new ideology to get people to that more natural way of being or or if that's not even possible, are we waiting on the next like alien invasion, zombie yeah, apocalypse, apocalypse, nuclear right. fallout, whatever it is that's well, going I mean, to like that's... give
0: us no choice but to stop being jerks to each other? Right. I mean, that's the quote that's often I think attributed to Zizek, even though I think it was for real uh, Frederick Jameson. But it's easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. But
1: if that's the point, then it's not ideological if that's what it takes. If we would argue that the minute something material happened and we stop, and that is what forces us to, to to get back into mutual aid and reciprocity, that's not, not ideological. That's the natural way of being. However, if it is a long, drawn-out generational revolutionary process, if it's that other way, that
0: might be more ideological. So Bakunin was like a revolutionary, like, pull the band-aid off, right? So perhaps we would argue that he's not he wouldn't endorse anarchism as an ideology. But Proudhon, as an example, was a gradualist that thought it had to take place over generations. In that case, you're arguing that would be a form of ideology.
1: I'm just trying to look at it from all angles. And so maybe the vehicle, the process by which anarchism comes into like reality might
0: tell us a little bit about whether or not it's ideological. So like the natural disaster, any kind of apocalypse, I guess, right? So if like, say the apocalypse happens and we are everyone just immediately starts participating in mutual aid. How do we know, right? Because I wanna say like, well, that would just be our instinctual way of interacting. And therefore, perhaps anarchism isn't an ideology, perhaps anarchism is just our natural instinct. But at some point, we don't have the freedom to choose, right? If we're up against the wall and we just have to survive, then we're not actually choosing a way to exist. We're forced to collaborate with other people in order to survive. And if we haven't chosen willfully, is that really anarchism?
1: I mean, if it's natural and that's the material circum... So anarchism, at least how it's framed the way we framed it in these definitions, all comes from historical materialists. Mm -hmm. So they would argue that that, that, that's just the way it's going to be. Which, by the way, I've
0: always felt that the socialists and anarchists relying on historical materialism so much functioned to allow them to avoid this conversation not that that's the only reason they believe in that like but that's one of the things that it does is they never have to actually talk about winning the ideological war some of them do which Perhaps. is one of the reasons why like gramsci as an example was so revolutionary his right. thinking right like you have to win the culture war and hegemony, hegemony and like so yeah. forth right but most anarchists and socialists completely avoid that conversation altogether.
1: So for me, as we go through this, like ideology is always delivered from the top down through various institutions, storytelling, mm-hmm. departments of education, pop culture, media, whatever. They deliver, they indoctrinate each and every one of us into very specific ways of thinking, speaking and acting, Acting right? Does anarchism Do that is so in your example, like in a natural disaster or whatever, like, is there a top down delivery of like a prescriptive delivery on this is what you're going? I don't believe that is.
0: But it's not a person or an organization, which is why it's hard for us to imagine. But it's based on survival. But we are, that is undeniable.
1: I don't even think an anarchist would deny that. We are subordinated to the laws of nature. Natural law, I
0: guess, right? Bakunin, yeah. Yes,
1: we are subordinate to the laws of nature. That is the only thing we are subordinate
0: to. So then let me ask the question, this is unrelated to the natural disaster, but like existing right now, like current anarchist media, is it ideological? Current Anarch- Anarchist media that exists right now, like zines and websites and so forth, is that performing ideological functions? It's performing propagandist functions. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah,
1: like yes, yes. I guess for lack of a better term, I don't like dislike it because I tend to, of course, gravitate towards what they are delivering. Mm-hmm. But yes, it like delivering any form of 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 that. Has
0: ideological elements. I mean, elements that's the problem, right? Is that any form of media is ideological? This episode right, right now is serving ideological functions, right? We're not intending it to, but just the fact that we're talking about anarchism in the modern era, right? every
1: action is political, and if it's political, even if we argue that political is sub-ideology, that also eventually makes it ideological. Mm-hmm. Who I don't remember who said it in the Lottery of Birth, which one of the academics said it, but that's what they essentially said: is that every action is
0: is 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 a political action. Yeah, that's from Frederick Jameson also, which we yes. should probably do an episode on right. because he keeps coming up. But yeah, that every act is a political act. There's yeah. no act that is not political because all of our actions are informed by ideology, and so just by doing something, you're either resisting or going along with the dominant ideology. Which kind way. of con-
1: like gets to the point. Like then maybe the only way to to engage in this with, if you were an anarchist is not to seek to revolutionize society and then to be able to prefigure your anarchist society, it would be exit. Just leave, yeah. Because any action you engage in will be political and thus ideological. But then exit is also a political action.
0: Is negation, now we're getting to nihilism again.
1: Negation and,
0: oh man. So negation is different than exit, right? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Which, by the way, I want to say, the whole reason I wanted to have this conversation is so that we're better equipped to have the conversation of whether or not nihilism is an ideology in the future. Because that's going to come, too. Mm. And that's a whole other conversation. So, but then, okay, let's say that you exit, right, as an anarchist. And you are starting this, like, let's talk yeah, about. Communes, yeah, communes. The, the communes that, that springing up in, in Virginia, right? Virginia they have their or own Canada rules, They have whatever, their own, yeah. like, policy. Like, is that ideological? In order to live here, you must cook dinner once a week or whatever, right? That's. That's indoctrination, right?
1: Yes. So I would argue many of those communes are... At, but here's the thing. So the revolutionist or the generational anarchist would argue that those are necessary steps, though. That's prefiguration, right? We need that to get to the next level. But that level. doesn't mean that it's not ideological. That's what I'm saying, though. But what that means is, and that goes back to what I was saying, like, for the evolutionary anarchist to get us to de-evolve or evolve, again, depending on your opinion, to get to that next level of human consciousness and understanding of how we're supposed to interact with each other, that would that would require an ideological process to get there Mm -hmm. versus the like boom
0: disaster overnight anarchism whatever that looks like although i'll say i think even i mean there's three different kinds right it's the gradual like evolutionary it's the revolutionary and then it's like the natural disaster apocalypse because i think even revolutionary anarchism is ideological otherwise why would any revolutionary go to the front lines and fight why would they do that if unless they believed in anarchism
1: That, well, okay. I mean, so an anarchist would argue that's self-defense and that's natural law. That the state being as violent as it is requires, like, you can't, you cannot ask, just like we talk about when we're talking about, like, civil rights or slave revolts or things along those lines that we've talked about in, like, the Myth is America series, like, you can only ask nicely of the slave master to let you go for so long before, like, the only solution is to kill the slave master.
0: Though I think now I feel like the anarchists have a crutch where they can always just rely on, oh, it's not an ideology, that's just a natural world. So anything an anarchist does isn't because they believe in some belief system, which is anarchism, it's just because that's the natural thing that they should be doing, right? So when the I guess they were nihilists, but whatever. When the anarchists bomb something, right? That's just like them naturally defending themselves. It's not that they believe in this other thing. But even connected to
1: the natural world, like, yeah, sometimes a lion does get its ass beat down by an elephant or whatever it it attacks. I I guess lions don't really try and kill elephants that much, but whatever, like a herd of, 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 uh, what's the one that always, that everything eats enough in in the Serengeti? The wildebeest. You get enough of them together and they're not so weak, right? They'll start mm -hmm. ramming in and eventually a lion dies. Like, isn't that the natural order of things? That self-defense of that
0: wildebeest? I have a huge problem when we map things like that onto, like, the human world. Because the anarchist that makes the bomb and goes and bombs, like, the whatever, um, motorcade of the politician. Well, it's exponentially more complex and convoluted than a wildebeest. They're not doing that because that's their natural instinct is to go bomb someone, right? They believe in something. They believe in their own self-preservation. And they would argue that the state is seeking to end that. I disagree that every anarchist that's ever bombed something, that's what they're doing. They're defending themselves. You can't tell me that there's that anarchists. I mean, you, I, I'm not, I can't get in the mind of every one of them. I don't know. There has to be some of them. And in fact, I would argue a wide margin there of them. That are ideologues? Probably. That are doing this because they believe in a different system. They believe that anarchism is the future, right? Sure. And that would be like ideological in that
1: case. So then we would argue that. But I would also argue that a host of them have convinced themselves, which might be ideological in and of itself, that they're doing this out of self defense from the state. So again, when we look at it this way, and it comes back to whatever like metaphor or, or historical correlation I can make, like what does one do? So if anarchism itself would argue that, like, is, is predicated heavily like, on. Well, I don't even know that every version of anarchism is heavily predicated on, like, nonviolence. I guess when you get to your perfect vision of society of mutual aid and reciprocity, there's no more violence. Mm -hmm. But to get there, to use violence, right, like, to use violence to get there, is that also, like, does that qualify as ideological? Or is that what I'm trying to maybe argue it as is perhaps just the natural order of self-defense? I'm trying to make that argument. I don't I know. know that I'm fully convinced of it myself. I think there's a difference myself,
0: between but. bombing someone or shooting someone and like the wildebeest defending itself. There's clearly a difference. But is it instinctual self-preservation when the, you know, okay, I don't so know. Okay, so getting
1: away from my straw man, wildebeest, and lion metaphor <laughs> to like the slave and the slave master.
0: Mm-hmm. What do we expect the slave to do? Just just take it for their whole life? Well, I'm not arguing that just because it's ideological doesn't mean that it's correct. But do you think, I guess what I'm saying is, is when,
1: I was about to say Nat Turner. Nat Turner was very ideological. Um, (laughs) Very ideological. Um, But like when, when that, that, that liberation takes place. Okay,
0: here's how I'll frame it that I think might help. The individual slave who in the moment kills his master, let's say, self-preservation. Nat Turner when slave revolts happen and a collective action, it has to be ideological. Well, he
1: definitely used like this idea of being a prophet himself, and so on and so forth. That, well, was, let's clearly, that, that was clearly that right. aspect. That was clearly ideological. Yeah. But I don't know that, at least in the record we have in the Confessions of Nat Turner, that there was a actual long-term proposal for what comes next, a prescriptive proposal for what
0: what comes after if if the revolt had been completely well, I don't successful think that it has to have a, a plan for the future but just believing in something right to be able to coordinate mass action you have to have some collective belief i feel like that's fundamental yeah collective belief this. in
1: in that being a slave is wrong it is morally reprehensible and i want to be free is that ideological no I would argue that that idea of wanting to be free, and every one of these definitions we just
0: read, freedom was involved in all of them. That would be natural law. All right, we'll end it there. We could keep going for hours and probably still never get anywhere, but it was leave it in the comments. Leave it in the
1: comments. Is anarchism an ideology? Not whether or not you like anarchism. We frankly don't care, but is it an ideology? Right. Um, and caps don't bother.
0: Catch us online, revolutionandideology.com. We are on Twitter, at Rev and Ideology. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, we clearly make many more like them. Uh, Subscribe so that you get notified whenever we publish a new one, which is about weekly. If you really, really enjoy what we do, you can support us on Patreon. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our Patreon supporters who really inspire us to keep doing what we're doing. I'm Nick. I'm Jared. Later.